This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the City Report podcast. If you're listening to today's show, it's probably because you tuned in yesterday where I was joined by Lars Sivertson to discuss his brand new book, Harland, the incredible story behind the world's greatest striker. If you haven't already listened to part one of our two-part special, do go back on your podcast feed where you'll be able to find it. We spoke about Harland's upbringing in Norway and how it has helped him to develop into the player we know and love today. On today's show, we'll be continuing that chat, speaking about his moves across Europe and, of course, his role in that treble-winning team for City last season. Stay tuned for all of that and much more. It's Thursday, the 2nd of November. I'm Amos Murphy, and this is the City Reports Podcast. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Lars. Obviously, yesterday we spoke about the development of Haaland, the upbringing, the childhood, etc., etc. Today, we're going to maybe go a little bit deeper into what he is like now, as in an adult Haaland compared to the child Haaland. And I want to kick it off with a potentially controversial question to ask a Norwegian, or at least a Norwegian football fan. Is Erling Haaland already the best Norwegian footballer of all time? All-timers is like, what about Tom Lund? And like people <laughs> who were really good a long time ago. But you can't really compare it because it wasn't a global marketplace mm. in the same way. And I, I don't think, because we've had obviously some, we've had some decent players in our history mm. and uh, players who over their career have achieved maybe even more than Ali has done so far. Uh, but I think having a guy who is sort of, fully recognized as one of the absolute best in the world is is a new thing for us that's mm. not something we've had in norway 
someone who is who you know again just just the season we had last season with City comes in and is an instrumental part of Man City you know mm-hmm. finally uh, winning the Champions League winning the treble having one of the great seasons in sort of club modern club football history to have a guy who's right at the heart of that like that that's new for us in mm-hmm. Norway we haven't experienced that before we've had a lot of players in England and it'd be fun to talk about why and how that works but uh, that might be a digression too far for this episode but we we definitely grew up with a lot of we were used to seeing footballers in England on our TV screens from our country. That that was pretty normal. But go, having a guy go, be go a into it, then, superstar, if you don't mind. Okay, how, why um, why is that the case? And more specifically, I guess in the context of this, why that might separate Erling Haaland from the rest, so to speak. Oh yeah, so this is this is kind of fun background. So Norwegians were obsessed with uh, English football way before it became a sort of global phenomenon mm-hmm. the way it did, and that uh, basically started. Um, I'm actually going to very briefly look it up because it's embarrassing <laughs> if I get the year wrong. Uh, it, 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 no, no, but it started in um, in the late '60s. Okay, uh, when. And, and the story behind it is kind of obscure and weird, but basically the guy who was head of he was head of sports programming or some such he was from the uh, uh, from the Swedish uh, bro- uh, state broadcaster. He went to England to to make some kind of radio report, I think it was about about uh, fox hunting. Uh, but then there was an outbreak of of a foot and mouth disease that year, so the fox hunt was called off. And because of that, this gentleman from Sweden, Lars Gunnar Björklund, his name was, he found himself with some time to kill. So he went to a match between Spurs and Chelsea, and he was standing in. in so the legend goes, he was standing in in the terraces at White Hart Lane, and he thought, "Bloody hell, this is pretty good. We should put this on TV," because of course, you know, it was a very different reality back then. You know, not not everything was on television. But he thought, "This is really good," and of course. In Scandinavia, we play our football in the summer. In the winter months, we we don't have any football because the weather's terrible. So we thought, well, we could put this on TV. In the winter months, we're not going to take any attendance away from the actual football because there's no football on anyway. So we had this idea of, of broadcasting games from England in, in Scandinavia. And then he got together. They got together, the Norwegians, the Swedes, and the Danes. And in, uh, I think it was November 1969, the first uh, game from the English top division was broadcast live in Scandinavia, which if you know your history in this country is way before you had live games on TV in this country, way, way before. And that became a a regular thing. The first game was uh, between um, between Wolves and Sunderland, I believe. Very, very glamorous tie. at, at Molyneux, yeah. Uh, so, um, <coughs> and <laughs> and they bought. Um, I believe they actually bought the rights from from from, from they through ITV somehow. And there was a lot of games in the Midlands that were broadcast. So there's like an absurd number of Norwegians who are still Nottingham Forest supporters because they they were just on quite a lot. Uh, but but I'm waffling here. But the point is, at a time where certainly in my country, Norway, there was only one TV TV station. Like there was. NRK one and that mm. was it. Like we had one channel to watch TV on, and they in the winter months certainly in the winter half of the year they would broadcast a game from the English top division at four o'clock our time on Saturday afternoon every weekend. So if you were just kind of if you're a family man who's settling in for the weekend, if you're a younger person who's getting ready to head out on the on the life on the Saturday, whatever it was, if you watched TV on Saturday afternoon, you'd be watching a football match from England. And uh, and they were so terrified because advertising, commercial advertisement, was not allowed on TV back in that time. So they were terrified of like enterprising Norwegian business owners buying up pitch side hoarding 
and sneaking on adverts on the telly that way. So they would kind of keep it secret what game it was. They wouldn't advertise what game would be on because then someone could fly over to Norway, fly over to England and buy advertising hoardings. And there were even instances of a game having to be switched at the last minute because someone had snuck in some adverts they didn't want on television. So, so, so basically, every time it was potluck. At the weekend, you'd sit down and you'd watch the game from England and you wouldn't know what team would be on. It'd be completely random. Uh, but, but again, with one television station, it's we don't have accurate readings for this, but it's thought that as, like, as many as a million people would watch it, like, uh, which was a quarter of the population at the time. So, 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 so everyone were watching English football way, way, way before. And because of that, of course, you get a chicken and an egg scenario here. We're Norwegians obsessed with English football because English football is a bit like how we play football, a bit sort of rough and tumble, a bit physical. Or did our football develop in that way because we were all sat watching it? I don't know. <laughs> One of the two. But either way, the influence of English football had on how Norwegian football developed was, was huge. So then when we get to like the 90s and the world starts becoming a little bit more globalized, opening up a little bit more, you get the first sort of transfers of Norwegian players moving over to England. And... By and large, back then, if an English club signed a Norwegian, I mean, worst case scenario, you got a physically fit, sort of hardworking guy who maybe wasn't that great, but wasn't the problem for you and, and who didn't cost you a lot. Like their wages mm. are basically decent, hardworking players who didn't cost you an awful lot. That was very attractive. So, so more and more started coming over and, and some of them turned out to be very good. And of course, uh, Alfie Holland was one of these. So, so for instance, I mean, I'm joking ahead a little bit here, but when we had the sort of when, they, when he was at Dortmund, Erling, and there's a question, is he going to Real Madrid? Is he going to Man City? There's a lot of good reasons to go to Manchester City. Mm -hmm. But the thing to remember is, like all other kids in Norway, he's kind of grown up mm -hmm. dreaming of playing in England because that's, that's the big thing, not just because the Premier League is big, but because that's a huge part of our entire football culture. I'm, I'm putting together a scenario where this fella, this Swedish fella, went over to England and was meant to do a fox hunting show and didn't, and broadcast Wolves versus Sunderland instead win City the Champions League <laughs> is that is that yeah, a no, that's like, butterfly you can, you can do you can do that meme with the domino bricks <laughs> yeah. and the, yeah 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 it's, it is a bit of a stretch but it's not completely uh, not completely uh, ridiculous no we, we have this sort of incredible it's completely normal like this is will sound like anathema to a lot of football fans because you have one club it's completely normal in Norway to have mm. like your local Norwegian club that you support and also be wholeheartedly following an English club because it's almost like separate realities yeah. to us I mean I, I mentioned him already uh, Gabriel Hoyland the uh, great uncle of Erling Haaland who's the sort of greatest player in Brynäs history he's a massive Burnley fan <laughs> Like That's he's a wild. fully committed Burnley <laughs> yeah. supporter. Very, very strange. But you know, yeah, uh, Erling Holland's great uncle uh, is a is a fully committed uh, Burnley fan who would like. Uh, he, he said this if there was a if there was if Burnley were playing uh, if there was he would try to get the, bring a radio to training or to games and listen to like wow. the World Service for updates and uh, yeah. Um, Echetil uh, Rechtal, one of our great sort of players, for, he scored both in the World Cup in '94 and against Brazil in '98. Massive lead supporter. Mm. Like there, there's a there, there's a few of these sort of uh, weird ones, and that's a heritage of us having those games from from England over uh, back in the day. And it's really sort of uh, it's really affected the, our whole football thing. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, I guess we'll, we'll sort of begin to wrap up if we cannot. Well, just try and. I, 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 dubbed it a whistle-stop tour of the sort of the next leg of his career because obviously you can yeah. read about it in the book but one name and it'd be remiss of me not to bring it up much as sort of it, it pains me to do is, is obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because mm. yeah. he moves to Mulder and 
by God, does that man, um, Ollie, that is, have an impact on him yeah. as a striker? You spoke about before the way that he was maybe this gangly, lanky, missing a few chances, you know, not the clinical mm-hmm. Erling Haaland we've, mm-hmm. we've come to know and love. Does Ollie turn him into what we know him today? Can United fans blame Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer for City winning the Champions League as well? Uh, no. we're, we're, well we're, we're coming to loads of conclusions here. It's my favourite sort of show when we're uh, rewriting history and, and, and really pissing a lot of people off. So, so it's clear that Solskjaer has a huge influence, and that's something Erling Haaland has mm. said as well. He's referred to said as Solskjaer was like a father to me for a period. You know, he was very... Mm. and and. I, I mean, just on a personal note, I was living outside of Norway at the time, so I wasn't following it mega closely. So through working at the book, I've really gone into old press clippings and read mm. everything and just really got, gotten into it. And it's it's really it really stands out the extent to which Solskjaer always backed him. Like constantly, whenever there was any kind of public discussion about Holland, Solskjaer would say, this kid is great. You know, this kid is going to go far. He's going to play for the national team. He's going to be good. Like Solskjaer completely believed in him and supported him. Uh, constantly and and he didn't uh, I think the first period the first year at Molde he probably didn't play as much for the senior team as maybe he was hoping but he was in the middle of just this incredible growth spurt I mean this mm. is when his size uh, really started happening and, and and that's the other thing when you're, you're when you're in your late teens and you suddenly shoot up like you know like this and you become much taller and much stronger like your touch goes goes to hell as well like your, your technique isn't right because suddenly your legs are longer than they were the other week like it's really difficult <laughs> yeah. this so 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 Solskjaer was pretty pretty patient with him I would imagine in this period now it's worth noting at the same time that it's not just Solskjaer I mean the football club Molde have a very proud track record of developing players and and sending them on to to have a career abroad. Not superstars like Erling Haaland, but if you go through the young players who've come into that club, who've gone on to get get a big contract in a, in a league outside of Norway, that list is pretty long. Mm. So that's something the club does very well. They have a very conscious uh, plan of signing the sort of best 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds that they can get their hands on from around Norway and then further developing them. And Molde is another pretty small place. Um off the top of my head, I might have to sort of furiously Google this to, to just be sure I don't insult the good people of Molde. But I think it's I think it's around thirty thousand inhabitants. Okay. So that's not a big place either, and it's on the west coast, sort of amongst the mountains and the fjords. It's a very beautiful mm. place, and. I mean, someone sort of, I, I won't name him because it's a slightly mean thing to say, but some, a very experienced observer of Norwegian football kind of sighed and said, the thing about Molde, there's not a lot to do there except like make money and become a better footballer. <laughs> like there's not a ton of, it's not a huge nightlife in mm. Norway. Like if you're an ambitious 19, 20 year old footballer, a lot of the sort of mistakes you can make in a big city, you can't really make in Molde because mm. it's a tiny place and they have a really good sort of environment for, for developing players and they have a history of doing it. So it was just a perfect place for him to go because of Solskjaer, but also because Molde is a good sort of incubator of talent. I mean, when he first moved to Molde, he, he could have gone some other places. Hoffenheim in particular in Germany were, were very keen. Uh, but he decided, and again, I think this is interesting, he could have, he, I'm sure he would have made more money at Hoffenheim. Uh, he could have gone to a bigger league. But but throughout his career, they've had they've been laser-focused on picking the, the next club from a perspective of what works for him in, in a sporting sense and what's the best thing for his development. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's very much a recurring theme here. But yeah, Molde was a great place for him to develop. Solskjaer was a great coach for him to have at the time. Very, very supportive. Himself, of course, a great striker. Uh, and, uh, and, and just a really good environment for him to, to kick on. And, and once he started, you know, 
finding his feet and playing, things happened very quickly because he, he outgrew that club as well very, very quickly once he started, uh, yeah, once he started scoring. Yeah, that, that is, it is interesting. And I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to do the lazy thing and, and group. <laughs> Sorry, I have that effect on, Honestly, on recordings. I, I, could go, I could go forever, but I do, I do fear that the listeners have day-to-day life activities that they, they would probably have, mm. to, have to check off today. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to do the lazy thing and group Salzburg and Dortmund moves together because not that I think mm-hmm. has, you know, we could go into detail and speak about both of them because I think they're both sort of, uh, they, they, they are separate. But in a way, they do feel like they were part of this very meticulous, career planning for early yeah, Haaland totally. and, and going back to all of the discussions we've had already the people around him um it, how how sort of pre-planned were these sort of moves you know obviously you say you could have gone to Hoffenheim I, I wasn't aware of that myself and, and Hoffenheim um, mm. famously another small town so maybe the, the, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a thing to be said there but he goes to Salzburg he scores lots of goals plays in the Champions League then goes to Dortmund and and I think specifically that um speaking of when we sort of first heard and, and got attention of Erling Haaland the Augsburg game his debut he comes on yeah. Um, yeah. I, and scores a hat-trick and, and that's that's also a recurring theme of scoring a hat-trick in first games and competitions um, which we might get into shortly yeah. but just how, how sort of meticulous is, is his career been planned and how intentional is it? So I think you can't pre-plan these things at all because you don't know mm. how well you're going to do and all this sort of stuff but what they've been very conscious of I just realized the time. Yeah, I should have probably spent less time on obscure Norwegian football history and more time. Yeah, there we go, guys. You got to have to buy the book cool. for some of this stuff. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, but but yeah, what I think is super interesting is that both in the move to Molde, the move from Molde to Salzburg, and the move from Salzburg to Dortmund, in each of those moves, he could have gone to a bigger club for more money. You know, every time mm. there was an offer, like again, Hoffenheim were there when he went to Salzburg. Juventus were, were very keen around about that time. Mm. Uh, there are a few others who, who who claimed that they were close. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. And when he went from Salzburg to Dortmund again, he could have gone to England already there. That would have been a more lucrative than than going to Dortmund, I'm sure. But they've always looked at you know where is he where is he going to play is is a big deal. Is where is he going to get the minutes? Because of course, him being Norwegian, we we often. It's inevitable that we'll compare him to Martin Odegaard sometimes because mm. those are our two big stars right now. And Martin Odegaard, of course, went to Real Madrid at, yeah. when he was you know, very, very, very young and ended up playing a few years in the reserves and being loaned out here, there, and everywhere. I'm not sure that would have worked for Erling Haaland. Mm. I think he is someone who kind of thrives on... He thrives on the challenge, but he thrives on being at the center of things. I'm not sure he necessarily has the patience to sit on the bench or play for the reserves a long, for a very long time. So they've been very conscious of putting him in an environment where he's needed, where there's a place for him, where he's going to be given minutes. And he's spoken about that himself when he was at Salzburg already. He was already a very young man. And he says, what this club is giving me is, is minutes on the field. You know, you can't buy experience. There's, you can only really live it. And, and that's what I'm getting here. And he, he was very respectful. He said, you know, it's great that Juventus wanted me. But at this point in my career, it, it wouldn't have been the right thing to do. And, and, and again, when they moved to Dortmund, I think he explained it I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said he basically liked the way they spoke to him. They said, "Hey, we have no striker. You, we need to. You need to come, and we, we the team really needs you." Yeah, because they had like uh, they, they basically didn't have a number nine, mm. and Lucien Favre was in charge at the time. He kept like doing weird things, like playing uh, uh, like playing various midfielders as false nines to see if that would work, and it just kind of didn't. So the Dortmund hierarchy was like, "Dude, we we need a striker. You got to come and play for us." And he was like, "Yeah, no, that sounds good." Um, so 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 the idea of Again, he did. We don't need to go into it too much, but he did get some criticism in Norway for going to Man City because yeah. there are people in Norway who aren't too keen on the owners of Manchester City. 
I'm prepared to like more or less give him a full pass on it, just because not that it matters what I do, mm. but um, it's so clear that he looked at the Man City uh, project that you have here. You have a team that's you know his father played for them, so he has an emotional connection. One of the best teams in the world, coached by you know an epoch-defining manager, and they don't have a striker. Like there's an obvious place for him to go in there. I I I think that more than anything, more than money, more than anything else, was the was the reason City was the right thing to do. If you compare to to Real Madrid, where they still had Karim Benzema, who was still very very good, everyone knows they want Mbappe. You know, is he going to be the main man there? Mm. We're not quite sure. I think he's been very very focused on on putting him into a team where he's needed. Uh, a, a team that will play to his strengths and that uh, that will work for him. Money more than anything else was the was the reason City was the right thing to do. If you compare to to Real Madrid, where they still had Karim Benzema, who was still very very good, everyone knows they want Mbappe. You know, is he going to be the main man there? We're not quite sure. I think he's been very very focused on on putting him into a team where he's needed, uh, a, a team that will play to his strengths and that uh, that will work for him. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Did want to sort of move on to Manchester City um, because that 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 move it was only what twelve months ago, just short of eighteen months ago, and it still feels sort of fresh in the memory. You know, a major major story. If it, it, going back to the sort of the build up to it, it almost felt inevitable. Mm. You know, there was chat about Real Madrid, and, and maybe yeah. I'm just being a little bit revisionist here, but it, it felt like City were going to sign him. And, and you know, you're right to bring up the ownership side of things. I have my opinions. They will differ from some listeners, and, and that's fair. Mm, mm. That's a, a, a separate conversation, which we, we have covered multiple times. But I guess the, the, wider, the wider aspect of it, it, it's not for players to sort of comment or decide their career moves based on geopolitical issues off the field. So, mm-hmm. you know, purely, mm-hmm. purely from a playing point of view, you, you kind of touched on it there. Was there any doubt in your mind that this would be a wrong move for him? Because there, there were there were critics, there were people who were going, "Yes, yeah. okay, you've played in the Bundesliga." Um, for what it's worth, I've, I've said this before on this show. It, it's my favourite league to watch. It is chaotic. Mm. It is at times a car crash, but it is wonderful. And it's no surprise Erling Haaland thrived there. But there were people who looked at the Premier League and said, "Yes, a competitive. It, it, you know, it's, it's probably the next step in his career." But playing style coming into Pep Guardiola's mm, team um, mm. because you know famously he's he struggled with the concepts of strikers like Erling Haaland in the past yeah was there any doubts that this yeah. would be a, 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 a it would be a failure it wouldn't work a season would go by he'd score four goals and then he'd be shipped out yeah it's just, just from my personal 
side of it. I remember, I think I sat on the fence pretty hard when that move happened. Mm. Not just because I'm sort of indecisive and cowardly, but which I can be, but, but it's just because I could see both sides of it, right? Because on the one hand, there is exactly the thing you just said. Guardiola doesn't have a history of working with strikers like Erling. Mm. Uh, you know, a huge part of why the Guardiola thing works the way it does is that he likes having a striker who drops into midfield so you can create overloads and you can have these little passing triangles and outnumber the opponent and all this sort of stuff. And Erling Holland is not going to do that. You can, you can get him to do it a little bit, but it's not what he's good at either. Uh, so, so it's going to be, it was clear that when he went to City that someone was going to have to adapt mm. here a little bit, you know, uh, the, 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 and it wasn't immediately apparent that this was going to work. But at the other hand, at the other hand, we can overcomplicate these things. And this is something Holland says, you know, you shouldn't overthink things. You can just kind of mm. do. And when all is said and done, you're taking, you know, one of the best forwards we've seen in the modern game, someone who's faster than most opponents. He's stronger than most opponents. He's got incredible movement in the box. He's, he's developed into an absolutely deadly finisher. And you're putting him in, the, in front of a midfield that has like Kevin De Bruyne and Inkal Gundogan and, 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 and Bernardo mm. Silva, like some, some of the best passing players around. It was like, well, of course this is going to work. <laughs> like, how can this not work? That was the other side of it, right? Yeah. And it ended up being a bit of both. There was some adaptation mm. that was needed. And, and and this is the incredible thing that I do write about it a little bit, even if it's not typically part of the howling story. But we can simplify it a lot and say like Guardiola's teams have typically had a striker who drops into midfield. That's part of how they dominate possession so much. If you have a striker who no longer, if you have a striker who doesn't do that, well, what do you do to to recreate those sort of overloads and that dominance that you want in midfield? And Pep, obviously, as as you guys will know, had a very simple answer. You, you find a defender, he'll do it. You, know, you, you get it. You do. You you get it from the other end. Mm. And and that, this is where I think anyone who like criticizes Guardiola and says that uh, what he's done at City isn't that great because they have lots of money and stuff. Again, show me anyone. Go mm. through the tactic blogs of the internet and the Twitter accounts. Like what people were sat here in August last year saying, well, the solution to this thing is we need to turn John Stones into like a hybrid midfield. <laughs> the false thing. five. And, and what, yeah, and once, once we do that, the, the team will come together and City win the treble. Like no one was mm. saying that. Mm. Like no one thought this was going to be the answer. So this was just absolute genius from Guardiola's uh, perspective. And it and it made the team work. And I think having Holland, who offers them a little something a little bit different, is part of the reason why they actually went mm. all the way and, and got got the treble because it gives them the option of, like in in that really important game against Arsenal in the spring, you can go long. You, know, you yeah. have the option of going long. Martin Odegaard spoke about it after the game. That City were so hard to play against now because they can play through you. But if you manage to press them, they can play mm. over you because they have Erling. So then, what do you do? Like you don't really have an answer to it. Um, I think I was in touch with you actually ahead of the yeah, Leipzig yeah. game because that was really interesting. I was I was at the Etihad for the Leipzig home game because that really felt. I think we were joking about it that this is like this has got City Europe banana skin <laughs> yeah. written all over it. But instead, Alling has one of those days when he just goes crazy and, and just scores everything. Yeah. And I think that that, that that's what that's part of what they bought him for to be to give them something slightly different in those moments. You're absolutely right. I mean, I was just going to list off uh, just sort of recapping on that season because it is still sort of in the present. Um, Harlan's only in his second season. You know, by this time next year, mm. we could be speaking about a striker who hasn't had the same sort of level. And I mean, who is going to have the same level of scoring 52 goals in a season? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it truly was the stars aligned. 
mind, especially um, you mentioned the tactical switch up, and, and he's a he's an asterisk now in, in Pep Guardiola's um, illustri- illustrious coaching career. Mm. And, and people sort of always use the the Messi comparison, and, and, and like you say, the, the striker dropping into midfield, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think moreover with Guardiola, his great teams need goal scorers, and Lionel Messi was mm. well one of the best of all time. Yeah. Erling Haaland is quickly turning into one of the best of all time, and in the Champions League more than anything, that five goals against mm. Leipzig. He scores the um, he scores in the home game against Bayern Munich, obviously, and then he scores mm. in the away leg. Um, for, for me, going back to it, I was at the Allianz that day. That is when the Champions League started to become a reality for City. When they go four 0 up in the Allianz Arena, he shakes off Upa Meccano, slots it underneath yeah. Jan Sommer, and that yeah. j- just to sort of round up that season, it, it was the most astonishing, wonderful, encapsulating individual individual season that I think I've ever seen. It was truly astonishing, and it's this little lad. Well, not little, but kind of little at one point, <laughs> lad from Brina. Yeah, no, and he he, he added it and, and made the team more complete. And I think you know, I'm not um, I'm, I'm not a City fan as such, but I I watched them more than usual last year for obvious mm. reasons, and I really enjoyed it. And I, it's. Uh, I definitely think you get a whole different appreciation for watching this team in the flesh, I think. Mm. Uh, because the, just the level of technical... I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but like the level <laughs> of technical competence in this team is unbelievable. And, and it's just it's really fascinating to see. And I, I think the... Yeah, I think the return leg against Real Madrid is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Like, mm. It's one of the best club performances. It, it was such a... It felt like such a turning point. Like the, it, Real Madrid looked like a team from twenty years ago, and and it felt like City were just playing football from a whole different mm. era. It was just an unbelievable performance. I, I think, as regards to Holland, I think what was maybe undercommunicated at the time because his goal scoring rate dropped off a little bit towards mm. the end of the season. I think he was a little bit tired. I mean, he had more minutes in the legs than than really at any point of his yeah, career yeah. because he's. Um, because he has had a history of picking up little injuries. I think that was something that they, I mean, I'm, actually I'm not, this is, they've, they've spoken about it on record. It's something that they were, were a little bit concerned mm. about in terms of going to England because they had a year at Dortmund where he picked up some bad injuries. And But this is where City's uh, physio department have just done an incredible job uh, and keeping him fit. And that's really worked out. And uh, no, it's, it's, it's been an amazing story. And uh Again, it's just completely bringing it right back to him. It is slightly mind-blowing that uh, the small kid from Brina has done all of these things. But it's funny you mentioned the Bayern goal where he sort of, Upamecano fell over and he sort of got through. That's one of the things when I was chatting to his uh, former coach, Mr. Ingvar Bansen, he actually showed me on a laptop, he showed me a video of a young Erling from the, the Jahrhall, the indoor hall they used to play in. Going past the defender with literally the same movement <laughs> as when he goes past with Bacano. It's like kinetically, it's the same move uh, as just sort of. It is. It, it is yeah. another fascinating thing about Erling Holland. He he does kind of play the game in almost exactly the same way he did when he was a little kid. It's just that now he's big and strong and terrifying <laughs> in the fast, and 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 basically no one can stop him if he gets yeah. And he's got luscious, beautiful long locks as well, uh, which which oh, doesn't he just? Yeah. Doesn't he, I'm very jealous of that. I don't know. I don't know if we're using the clips, the video clips for anything here, but in terms of of the hair is one of the many areas where me and Alan are very, very different. But uh, yeah, um, gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess we'll wrap up then, Lars. It's been an absolutely fascinating chat. I cannot thank you enough. And, and and the thing I'm sort of taking away from this is this book could be the start of a series, really. It could be go on to be a sequel. It could be a trilogy because there are, yeah. there are untold things that this lad can go on and achieve. And, and, and For finally sure. then, final statements, 
What's next for Erling Haaland? Where does his career go from winning the treble with Manchester City? Because I don't even think the sky's the limit. You know, everything above that is the limit for Erling Haaland. Be that at City, be that anywhere else, you know, this is a special, special talent. This is actually just me speculating. This is not me <laughs> hinting at internet. But I, my feeling and my impression, and it's it's speculation, but it's vaguely informed speculation, I suspect that things have gone better at City than they were expecting. Not just in terms of winning everything, mm-hmm. obviously, or scoring all the goals, but I think the fact that he's had so few injuries is is a really mm-hmm. reassuring thing for them because that's something that, yeah, there was that one season in Dortmund when he picked up, I think it was three quite serious muscle injuries, and that, that, that mm-hmm. was a worry because he has a pretty unique physique and he has to really look after those this combination of strength and explosiveness. You have to really look after your muscles. And I, I suspect that the idea... I, I think he's a guy who'd like to try different things and playing different countries and stuff, but the fact that they've done such a great job keeping him fit at City and he's able to play so many games, I think it, it's a vote in favor of staying here longer, mm, basically. Yeah. I, I, think, I, I don't think he'll be moving on... I don't think he'll be moving on next summer, put it that way. I, I, I think he's very, very happy in scoring goals and keeping healthy, keeping fit, able to contribute. Very, you know, seems to be very happy with the support staff. And, and that's because uh, that was the big risk factor coming to England, uh, where it is a little bit more physical. You play some extra games because there's an extra cup competition. I think the physical side of it, again, it's, it's me, uh, me pontificating, but I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that that's something they thought long and hard about but that's worked out better mm-hmm. than than one could perhaps fear so so that suggests to me that he could be here for 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 a long while yet yeah ballon d'or maybe um wouldn't that be something eh? uh <laughs> yeah bring it on yeah absolutely well we'll, we'll call it a day there um harland the incredible story behind the world's greatest striker is out on november the 2nd so depending on when you are listening to this it's either out go and grab it but um lars a massive thank you from everyone here it's been an absolute pleasure um welcome back anytime yeah, to speak about erling harland I'm going to take you up on that. This thing with Scand- Scandinavians were very literal people. We're like when people say people in England they say things often just to be polite, but we're like, oh, oh yeah, yes, okay, right. I'll see you so it took me took it, it took me many years to realize after moving here that someone asks you how you're doing, that is not a request for information. <laughs> like for every, I, I would always answer, yeah, no, it's okay. This has happened. That's and people are like, what? Stop talking. Anyway, yeah. Thanks for listening, uh, and, and I hope you enjoy the book if you buy it. Thank you very much. Absolutely, listeners. Please do go out and get it. It's a fantastic read. Um, that's all for us today. If you enjoyed the show, please follow, subscribe, leave a rating and a review. And until next time, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been joined by Lars Davidson. We'll see you later. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.